So, yeah, we're going to talk about work for the next four months through the summer and some, some different aspects of work. And I was going to recognize, Steve Patton's not here this morning, is he? I was going to recognize, Steve retired this month. Um, early in the month, he retired after 31 years at University of Kentucky. And he was over 40 when he started at UK. So that wasn't his first career necessarily. So I was going to recognize Steve, who's kind of come to the end of the journey of work. Um, and I have this guy up here. Does anybody know who that is? Or does anybody recognize him? Basically, anybody who's my age and older would probably recognize him. Um, he actually had a name, uh, Fred the Baker, is, is the name of the character played by an actor named Michael Vale. And in the 1980s, there was a Dunkin' Donuts, a series of Dunkin' Donuts commercials that featured this guy, where his alarm would go off early in the morning, it's still dark, and he would shuffle around his house, pull his clothes on, put on that paper hat, and he would always say the same thing. What was he famous for saying, Aaron? Time to make the donuts. Time to make the donuts. And he'd usually say it in a monotone, like, time to make the donuts. Um, without, you know, without much enthusiasm. He looks very happy and enthusiastic here, but that's not the way he was portrayed in the commercials. And it became wildly famous, uh, very recognizable character, but it's probably Dunkin' Donuts didn't in intend this, but the phrase time to make the donuts became a catchphrase generally for time to go to work. And usually without very much enthusiasm for going to work. And so has anybody ever said that? Anybody who's, who's older? Like, well, it's time to make the donuts. You, you, now. You, you, <laughs> you get done with breakfast and it's time for the commute and say, well, time to make the donuts. Or you get done with break and time to make the donuts. Not very much enthusiasm for it. And so we're going to talk about making the donuts. Uh, working and relating to work through the Bible's eyes. Uh, most of us will work three or four decades, maybe even five decades, generally five days a week, 52 weeks a year with vacations and holidays in there. And like every area of our lives, work falls within our discipleship to the Lord Jesus. It's just as much of a part of our lives as our marriage, our parenting, our friendships, our service in the church, being a neighbor. And we are to work as Jesus himself would do it in our place. And so Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the character of Jesus, how Jesus himself would do it in your place. That's comprehensive. That doesn't leave anything out including us being men at work. In 2006, a guy named John Beckett wrote a book that had the title Loving Monday. Loving Monday. Do you love Monday? Or your equivalent of Monday, whatever that may be if you don't work a, a traditional Monday through Friday week. Do you love Monday? Do you love it as much as you love maybe Friday evening or Saturday morning? Or if you're starting your work on Monday morning, do you have more of a time to make the donuts? kind of feel to approaching your work. And so if that's the case, if on Monday morning it's kind of a, a time to make the donuts attitude toward it, I want to ask, could there be something wrong with work as we experience it? Could there be something wrong with work? Could there be something wrong with us in how we come to work? And so to begin talking about this, I want to go 
back to the beginning as we often do and go back to the garden in Genesis 2. So if you have a Bible, uh, Genesis 2, 5 through 8, and then uh, also verse 15 says this, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And one of the most important things that the Bible says about work is that it was part of the original creation. Work was part of the original creation. God built the world, and he made it so that his human creatures would take part in it and help bring it to maturity and bring it to glory. That was part of God's original design that man would work. It's a good thing. It's part of his good creation. And and this was going to involve a lot of the things that we associate with work. Adam, out there in the garden, was going to get hot. He was going to sweat. He was going to have to exert himself to do things. He was probably going to get tired, and he was going to get sore. And there were probably going to be times where Adam would would work really hard in an area for a couple of hours and then realize that things weren't happening the way that he thought they should. That's why God gave him Eve, so that she could point out all the things that he was doing wrong, and then he could, he could start over again, right? So he wasn't going to figure that out on his own. He needed help. But all those things are part of working, exerting ourselves, maybe making mistakes and having to start over, and then coming to a realization of what's going to work. But after Adam and Eve rebelled, then the nature of their work changed. And so we have Genesis 3, 17 to 19, where God says to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken." For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Work was meant to be a productive relationship between Adam and the ground. Adam gives himself to the earth, and the earth responds to Adam. There was, a, there was an intended mutuality in it. But when God cursed the ground, now the ground is going to be unproductive. And it's not going to do what it was originally meant to do. Adam will give to the earth, but the earth will give forth thorns and thistles. And Adam will have to do everything that he possibly can to get something from the unproductive and unresponsive ground. So that's a change in the working relationship because of the cursed ground. But there's also a change in Adam. Adam himself is now different too. He's now the kind of person who sins. He's the kind of person who sins, and now he brings that to his work as well. And so there's no mutuality between Adam and in the ground. Adam, who is sinful now, and the ground now that has been cursed. No, I'm Oh, okay. <laughs> and so now what we have is not labor 
and it's not work, what we have instead is toil. And that's a very different kind of work. The nature of the work has changed. Work and labor, are those are good words to describe the, the, what God intended in the design. But this is toil. This is time to make the donuts. This is what's behind that, that resigned, uh, got to go to work. And that becomes the experience of Adam and his descendants. And that's why when Noah is born, his father says this in Genesis 5.29. Noah's father says, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So work has become toil after the fall. And when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, their slavery is described as toil. So Deuteronomy 26.7 says, Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. So as an enslaved people, all Israel experienced was toil. And I think we know what toil feels like, if we think about it. I think we know what toil feels like. It might feel like sitting in meeting after meeting about the same thing and never getting anywhere and just recycling the same conversations, but not actually ever arriving at a solution. Or getting to the end of your workday and feeling like you didn't accomplish anything. Like it was just a bunch of emails and nothing got done. You can't point to anything specific that you actually accomplished. Or studying very hard for an exam and still getting a poor grade on the exam. That can feel like toil. Or giving your best energy of your best years at a place of occupation and you still get sacked because of budget cuts that you had no control over. There was nothing you could do about it. That's an experience of toil, too. That's toil. That's time to make the donuts. Ecclesiastes 2, to 23 says, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest, This also is vanity. And again, this is not what God built into creation. This was not God's design. God designed work to be a mutual, productive relationship between us and the ground. But toil came as the result of man's sin. Are we all good so far? All right. So let's pause there and think about your work. Think about what you're engaged in throughout the week. And I'm sure you've already been thinking about that to some degree, but where do you experience work as God designed it? And you labor, maybe you have some false starts, but eventually you get to a place where you have a real sense of satisfaction in bringing something into the earth that wasn't there before because you brought your energy and your creativity and your wisdom to it. And you brought it to a piece of ground and it responded to you. And you've produced something in the world. Where, where does that take place in your week? Or where do you experience toil in your occupation? What feels like toil? Where do you expend your energy with no tangible result? <clears throat> or where do your own faults and character defects prevent you from being productive? Your own sinfulness prevent you from being productive. It's not always the ground that's the problem. 
Sometimes we're the problem. And I'm, sometimes I'm often, I'm painfully aware of where I'm limiting the good productive work that I could be doing because of my pettiness or not feeling appreciated or just wanting things my way. The good news is that Solomon does not get the last word about work. What, we, what I read in Ecclesiastes 2 is not the last word. After the fall, something was now wrong with Adam and something was wrong with the ground. But in Christ, we are being remade. We are being remade in the image of Christ. Christ in you is the hope of glory, Paul says in Colossians 1.27. And that means that Christ in us brings something to work that wasn't there in the days of fallen Adam or Noah or Solomon. With Christ in us, we bring something new to work that wasn't there before. We bring resurrection life to our work. And that means hopeful things for our life at work. So here's an example, I think, a good, a good example. This is in Luke 5, 1 through 7. It's a familiar story, but maybe we'll see it through new eyes. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So the fishermen had toiled all night. Fruitless work, a lot of effort, nothing to show for it. But they humbled themselves to accept direction from clearly a non-specialist. Jesus was not promoting himself as the fisherman extraordinaire, clearly a non-specialist. But they humble themselves to accept direction, and they get so many fish that the boats begin to sink. And it goes back to what I said at the beginning, that discipleship, our work falls under discipleship the same way that all the other areas of our life does. And that means doing our work with Jesus. It means doing our daily work, whatever that work is, with Jesus. Now, I think when I say that, there's a little bit of a, a dissonance because we understand how Jesus knows how to transform our thoughts, our feelings, our will, our mind, our bodies to be like his. We, we know how Jesus works in what we think of as our spiritual life. But when it comes to work, the actual practical things in our day-to-day, -day, we labor in areas that have very specific knowledge and competencies. And so I want to ask you, could Jesus do your job? Do you think that Jesus could do your job? Could Jesus install lifts? Could Jesus be a data scientist? Could he be a pharmacist, a physical therapist? Could Jesus do those things? What does Jesus know about marketing or data science or B2B sales, computer engineering or modern law? Well, Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So I think if we're talking about particle physics, I think Jesus knows it. All things hold together in Jesus. If he let go, everything would fly apart into nothingness. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So data science, yes. Quantum physics, yes. Finding more efficient ways to serve food or to manufacture vehicles, yes. All those things. The problem isn't that Jesus doesn't know how to do those things. The problem is that we tend to make him domain-specific and just relegate him to what we consider our spiritual lives. And we don't bring him into the practical everydayness of our lives at work. Does that make sense? Maybe you can see how uh, maybe you can see how you do that. But all of your life is your spiritual life. There is no pie of your life where spiritual life is just a, a sliver, maybe a big sliver, but it's just a sliver. All of your life is spiritual life. You have a heart. You have a central part of you that chooses. And it is always choosing toward one thing or another. And you bring that with you everywhere you go, even at work. You are becoming who you will be forever. And who you are at work is a part of that. Dallas Willard says this in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. I think this is great. He says, if Jesus were to come today, as he did then, he could carry out his mission through most any decent and useful occupation. He could be a clerk or an accountant in a hardware store, a computer repairman, a banker, an editor, doctor, waiter, teacher, farmhand, lab technician, or construction worker. He could run a house cleaning service or repair automobiles. In other words, if he were to come today, he could very well do what you do. He could very well live in your apartment or house, hold down your job, have your education and life prospects, and live within your family, surroundings, and time. None of this would be the least hindrance to the eternal kind of life that was his by nature and becomes available to us through him. No matter what you do, there is nothing about it that hinders your ability to live the eternal kind of life right now. And then Willard says this, It is not possible to trust Jesus or anyone else in matters where we do not believe him to be competent. We cannot pray for his help and rely on his collaboration in dealing with real-life matters that we suspect might defeat his knowledge or abilities. In other words, if we don't trust that Jesus knows more about our job than we do, we're not going to bring the Christ in us life to that job, to that work. Jesus is remaking us in his image, but he can also help with the ground where we labor. He can help with the very ground. He knows why your code doesn't work. He knows why you're not connecting with your customers. He knows why your inventory numbers don't add up. He knows how to navigate toxic environments that are fraught with office politics. Just again, Chaz mentioned this in the sermons in Matthew. His relationship or his interactions with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He knows how to navigate complex relationships where, where there's all kinds of toxicity. He knows how to do that. He knows where the fish are. And a lot of times we don't. And we think we do. But Jesus knows where the fish are. But we as his students must humble ourselves 
and say, Lord, you know all things and you desire that I be a blessing on the earth. Would you help me with this thing? And then trust that he will. That's work that's transformed by the gospel. That's not toil. That's work that's transformed by the gospel working in us. We are being remade, and as we bring Jesus into our work, the unproductive ground becomes productive once again. There's mutuality between us being remade and Jesus' work in the ground. And so I want to close with Psalm 90, verse 17, which says, Let the favor of of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We want the Lord to establish the work of our hands so that we can be productive. Amen? Amen. Now, I have some questions, and I'll I'll put them on the board. Uh, What I'd like to do is just at your tables, or maybe uh, if you break up in threes, just so that you can hear each other and have enough time to share, I'd like you to discuss the following questions. Where do you experience work as God designed it? Where do you experience toil in your occupation? Where do you experience time to make the donuts? And what might work transformed look like for you?